Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you, and thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I never take it for granted that people are going to come back the next week. And so I'm always grateful when you do and uh, extremely thankful. We uh, welcome our regular church family. And for those who have been away for a lot of the summer, I, I see some people are starting to come back from their cottages and their trailers at the campground. And so it's good to have you back. And also wanted to extend a very warm welcome to our first time. Uh, guests. Uh, my name is Donald and I'm one of the pastors here and we're so thankful that uh, to have you here and that you'd be willing to share part of your weekend with us. I actually have some first-time guests myself. I have some family here visiting from New Brunswick, never been to Sarnia and I'm showing them the reason why Sarnia is so beautiful. My aunt and uncle are here and I actually have some friends, uh, my old neighbors from Halifax. Uh, they've never been here before either and it's uh, certainly good to have them here and um, I've always said I've been blessed with great family and, and great friends and the proof is in the pudding by those who are here this weekend. So uh, welcome to uh, everyone this morning. Now this morning, we are going to be reading from God's word. And this is something that I know about people and the Bible. There are people here this morning who believe that the Bible, this book right here, is the word of God. They believe that um, men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down what God wanted and that somehow God miraculously preserved his word for his people. Uh, they believe it to be without error and no mistakes. And probably, probably the majority of you maybe are in that camp. I certainly fall into that camp. But I also realize there's probably people, people here this morning that may be a little more skeptical not absolutely sure if everything that the Bible claims to be is true. Uh, not uh, absolutely convinced that everything in the Bible is accurate. Maybe you believe that it, it contains the word of God, but to say that it is the word of God, you're not too sure. And, there, and by the way, there's a big distinction there. And then there are people here this morning that may believe that actually the Bible is a, a collection of stories, perhaps even fables, that are simply used to inspire people, encourage people, or to guilt people, or to make people fearful. Um, wherever you may fall into that spectrum, I just wanna say we're really glad you're here. No better place to bring your questions. No better place uh, to bring your doubts this morning. I'm often reminded of that old hymn that used to end every Billy Graham evangelistic crusade, just as I am. I think it's verse three that says, just as I am, though tossed about with many conflicts, with many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, I come. And that's what is amazing about our God. You can come with your fears and your frustrations and your faults and your doubts. He invites you. Uh, to come this morning. Now, for those of you who may be in the second category, um, still not convinced that maybe everything in God's word is, is true, I wanna let you know that the person we're gonna be looking at this morning is a real person, part of history. In fact, you can read lots and lots of secular historical books that will confirm um, who we're gonna be studying this morning. He's uh, as real as anyone 
who's ever lived in history. And we're gonna be looking at the life of David. Now, for some of us, we may know him better as King David, but long before he ever uh, got the title king, he was David. In fact, maybe he was just simply Dave. Now, at first, when you begin to study the life of David, I think it can be a little bit intimidating because he's so multifaceted as a man. Uh, what we discover about him, he's a shepherd, he's a warrior, he's a musician, he's an outlaw, he's a faithful friend, he's a theologian, he's a poet, he's an empire builder, he's a sinner, he's a saint, he's flawed, he's a failed dad, he's an ideal king. And the records will show that David really is a very complex man. He's both passionate at times and then at times he just kind of with, withdraws. There are times he is so dependable and then other times he's kind of shocking. There are times he's so righteous and godly and then other times he's wicked. Just like we can be at times. In fact, just, just like me. I think that as we study through the life of David, we're gonna find there's a lot of things that we have in common and maybe more than we want to admit. There are things about David's life, honestly, I can say doesn't make sense to me. Like I, I, I just, I don't get it. And we're gonna be looking at some of those during this upcoming series. Now probably for most of us, especially if you grew up in the church, but I think even if you didn't grow up in the church, there are two events that pretty well everybody knows about David. One is David and the giant Goliath, right. Most people know this story about a little boy and a giant and, and taking down a giant. The other story that everybody seems to know is also the story about David and that foxy lady named Bathsheba, right. But let me tell you, it's more, it takes more than just two events to shape a man's life. Just like it takes more than one or two events in our lives to shape us to be who we are this morning. And we're gonna be looking at a lot of those uh, areas of his life and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Did you know that David's name is almost mentioned a thousand times in the Bible? Other than the name of Jesus, his name is mentioned more than any other. He has a prominent place in the, uh, the politics of his country. He has a prominent place in the military uh, thoughts of his country. He has a prominent place in the development of theology and poetry and in the future hopes and dreams of his people. This man, David, lived like no other man. And yet, on the flip side, he's just like you and me. You couldn't write a Hollywood movie script that had more sizzle in it than the life of David. I find his life absolutely intriguing. In fact, there are times I'm just captured with my imagination over and over again as I study his life. I see, I see things in David's life that I so desperately want in my life. And I see things in his life that I'm scared to death that I do have in my life. All we need to relate to David is to be a member of the human race. Now here is a fact that I have a very hard time getting my head wrapped around. The fact that the Bible says that David 
had a heart for God. That doesn't seem so such a big deal, but it's the fact that David is also an adulterer and a murderer, and yet he still maintains this title as a man who had a heart for God. I mean, it kind of doesn't really add up. It's like, what in the world's going on? Well, I hope as we look at David's life over the next few weeks, we'll discover uh, together the similarities in our life and how we can learn, I think, from some of his successes and some of his failures. And I hope you'll continue on this journey with us over the next number of weeks as we try to fill our backpacks with truths that will arm us and prepare us uh, as we journey this life together. And I trust we'll be able to answer some very practical questions. Questions like, how can a person be forgiven and restored after sin? I hope we can answer questions like, how can a a person continue to be faithful to God when nothing in their life is going the way they had planned? I hope we can answer questions like, how can a person find God when he or she feels all alone? I hope we'll be able to answer these questions and maybe some other questions that you may have on this journey together. So as we get started this morning, let's just pray and ask God's insight this morning. Father, I thank you for these uh, few moments that we have together. I pray that as we open up your word, we will see Christ. I pray, Lord, that there will be no other name other than Christ elevated here this morning. Help us to see you. Help us to grab a fresh glimpse of who you really are. Lord, I pray that we'll sense your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles or some kind of electronic device or a smartphone, you can turn to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. If you're a little unfamiliar with the book, with the Bible, because you know there's 66 books in the Bible, sometimes it gets a little bit confusing, but 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's the ninth book of the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. And by the way, it's never, it's never called cheating when you look at the very beginning of your Bible and look at the table of contents to find out uh, where it is. If you don't have your Bible this morning, uh, we'll also have it uh, on the big screen this morning. Now, I just need to find it myself. 1 Samuel. Now, to get started... I think it's important that we, we know a little bit of background of David's environment, his family, uh, his surroundings, the politics of the day, his employment, and whatever else we can discover because this is gonna give us a better understanding about this very complex man. And the first mention of David is actually found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse one. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse one. Let me just read that to you. If you're there, you can follow along. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons, reference to David there, one of his sons to be king. Now let me just tell you what's happening here. Samuel the prophet has been rejected. He was the judge, the priest, the prophet. He was the leader of the country. 
And, and, and the people of Israel, they wanted to have a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. And so they rejected Samuel's leadership. They appreciated all that he had done, but they wanted a king. And, and God says to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't actually rejected you. They've rejected me. And in 1 Samuel chapter eight, Samuel actually warns the people. Now listen, if you get a king, this is what you can expect. If there's gonna be a king in the land, you can expect that your daughters, they will become part of his concubine. They will be servants, they'll be housemaids, they'll be s- slaves for him. Your sons, guaranteed, your sons will be part of the army. They will defend themselves. They'll become his slaves. If you have a king, you will pay taxes. 10% of everything that you own will go to the king. 10% of all your profits will go to the king. 10% of all your animals will go to the king so he can eat at his table. And with all of that, the people say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we want. It proves once again as it does in the book of Judges just before that, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And it says it over and over and over again. That's the period of history that we're talking about this morning. And if the truth be known, we live in a very similar culture. I mean, let's be honest, if it feels good, we do it. It's not much different than this part of history. Most people, I think, make decisions on the pursuit of happiness. We talk about that, we live in a country where you can fulfill your dreams, but I think most times when it comes to making a decision, we will always lean toward what makes us happy. That's what we do, and that's exactly the period of time that's happening here. So they've rejected Samuel, and they've rejected really God's leadership over that. It's kind of like the church uh, today of Jesus saying, you know, Jesus, I, I, um, I got your word. <laughs> I got it right here. Um, but I, I kind of think I can run my life a little bit better uh, my own way. If I need help or I need your opinion, I'll ask for it. Now, I know that would never happen with church people. Well, actually, I think it does happen <laughs> with church people. It's amazing that a couple thousand years separate our cultures and yet we're exactly alike. Now what we have here is Saul, as we just mentioned here, is the first king of Israel. And let me tell you, Saul started off so well. He was really a great king. When he first started, he was doing so well. He was running in all the cylinders. But then something went drastically wrong. Saul became a real piece of work. And after he became king, his true self, started to shine and let me tell you, it wasn't pretty. Eventually, something snapped in his mind and during the later years of his rule, it became very obvious that he was out of touch and unqualified for the job. And we'll look a little more at that throughout the series. So we're at the point where now God actually now has rejected Saul as the king of Israel. His kingdom will not endure. And God has told Samuel, I want you to go and anoint another man to be king. And it's actually one of Jesse's son. Now, look what happens. The next verse, verse two, it says, but Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and, and he'll kill me. 
So what we have here is a spiritual giant of a man is asked to go to Bethlehem to anoint another king. You know, really what God is asking Samuel to do is commit treason. And everybody knows what happens to people that commit treason. They're usually hanging from a tree or standing before a firing squad. And Samuel understands that. He says, uh, I think he starts stuttering. Uh, I, 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 I got the sniffles. My, my nose is running. I got the chills. I think maybe I should stay in bed. Maybe send someone else to do the job. It's almost, um, I feel like there's this, this tension, uh, almost a, a disagreement with Samuel and with God. God, do you understand what you are asking me? God, you are asking me to sign my own death warrant if I go do what you've asked me to do. Because if I go and anoint a ki another king and Saul hears about it, he'll have me hanging from the trees and the vultures will be eating me before the oil even touches the ground. No, Lord, I think it'd be better if you sent someone else on this mission. But then he goes into a little more detail, the Lord, to tell him, well, listen, this is what I want you to do. You're gonna to go to Bethlehem. You're gonna bring a cow with you, a heifer, and you're gonna do a sacrifice. So if there's any questions that are asked, why is the prophet Samuel going to Bethlehem? Just tell him, you're going to go and make sacrifice in Bethlehem. And so it seems like there's this little espionage mission being planned by God. And Samuel finally says, okay, I'm a little intrigued. I'm in God. And Samuel arrives in town, and the whole town is scared to death. Like, why is Samuel in our podunk town called Bethlehem? Nobody comes to Bethlehem, and now this high priest, the prophet, the judge has come to our town. Something's up. Somebody's in trouble. Somebody's going to get it. I have a friend of mine. Her name is Julie, and she's worked in a lot of uh, um, big corporations. And one of the uh, jobs that she had is that um, their nationwide company was downsizing some of the upper management. And so her job was basically to go in and, and tell people you no longer work here. And she would go from office to office to office across the country. She was known as the ax lady. So when Julie walked into the office, people were like, ooh, somebody's going home today. We don't know who, but somebody will be walking out those doors with a box in their hand. Well, this is the kind of feel that the people of Bethlehem have. Like, why would Samuel show up in our town? He's never been here before. Something is up. Somebody is in trouble. And so Samuel knows that one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed as the next king. He doesn't know who. But God has told him this. And so when you read through chapter 16, you, you can take some time to read there. It says that uh, Samuel invited Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. And of course, Jesse, or, um, Samuel is very interested in meeting Jesse's son because he knows that one of them is going to be anointed uh, as the next king. In fact, let's pick it up right there in verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that's the oldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. So Jesse parades his sons in front of Samuel. It'd be quite an honor to, to come and stand in front of the prophet. And so exhibit A, Eliab, tall, handsome, chiseled jawline. This must be him, Samuel says. Just look at him. 
He looks like a future king. And then it says, if you continue to read in verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the oldest son, exhibit A comes, exhibit A passes by. Exhibit B, continue to read there. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. There's Abinadab, muscle bound, chiseled abs, athletic. God says, no, not him. And then it says, in verse eight, then Jesse called Abinadab, had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. Exhibit C, Shema, jet black, wavy hair, eye candy for the ladies. And God says, no, that's not the one. But he looks the part. And then Sam was reminded, oh yeah, that's right, God doesn't look at the outside. He looks what's going on inside. And so the next son is paraded in front of Samuel, Mr. Colgate himself, a beautiful bright smile, pearly whites that can light a very dark path at night. And God says, no, that's, that's not the one. Then the next brother, each better than the other. This brother comes speaking five languages, a head taller than anyone else. Surely this must be him. And God says, no. Then the next brother parades. Personality plus, a boy scout, top of his class, a mind for figuring out complicated problems. God says, no, not him. Then the next brother, number seven, arrives and parades in front of Samuel. He's got the whole package. He's got all the qualities of his brother. He has everything that every man would ever want. Got good looks, smarts, intelligence. He's progressive thinker. He's funny. He's athletic. He's a definite leader. And God actually says to Samuel, no, it's not him either. Look what the text says. Verse 10, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Well, uh, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. Well, but he's out in the fields. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, we'll send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. All the boys are there. But David's not even considered worthy to be part of the exhibit by his father. I read that and I think it almost sounds a little bit like favoritism. Jesse doesn't seem to have the equal appreciation for all of his sons. The seven oldest are all there, but not David. He's obviously not his father's first choice. I don't know if you've ever felt like you're the youngest child, the youngest son, the consummate little brother. 
You don't have to be a son. You don't have to have siblings, by the way, to feel that way. Sometimes, somewhere, you probably have been treated that um, you don't even exist, uh, that you're not wanted, that you didn't matter. And let me tell you, David knew the sting of being left out. And Jesse, like a lot of us, I include myself, we simply look at the outward appearance. But God looks down deep in the heart. David at this particular time, as we've just read, he's actually doing his chores. He's, he's doing the family business. He's looking after sheep. He's a teenager helping out at home. Now, I don't know if anyone has ever um, tended sheep here, but I actually can't think of anything more boring. It would be like watching grass grow to herd and look after sheep to me. I, I've only had a few experiences with sheep. My previous church I worked in, we used to do a pretty large Christmas production and we always had live animals and I always had to look after the sheep. And, um, and one thing I know about sheep, when they're in the auditorium, they'll pee anywhere, right? <laughs> That's just a fact. And it always seemed that the sheep I had always had to do with other business. And I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but they're a little bit like a machine gun. It's like, like it just goes everywhere. And so my few experience with sheep is that, you know what, I'm just not really interested in, in looking after sheep. I don't know, maybe for the first couple of minutes it might be interesting. But after that, it just seems boring. So I try to think to myself, if I was David, how would I try to pass the time away? Like, I have my staff, I don't know, would I pretend I was part of the marching band, leading it, a baton, maybe a high pole, or using it for poles for high jumping. Um, I don't know, maybe I'd try to see how many squirrels I could kill and keep, you know, with my slingshot. Now I'll give you this. There are a couple of exciting nights out on the range because we find out that David actually killed a bear and a lion who tried to take one of his sheep. And he put them in their place. Well, actually, he put them on their dinner table is what he did. He's the baby of the family. He has seven older brothers and he lives in their shadow. They're strong, handsome men. And David is the run of the family. Now, who would ever think, who would ever think in their wildest dreams that a kid who was being trained out in the field in solitude would be the next ruler of Israel? If someone would have said, I think David is going to be the next king, without hesitation, somebody would have said, what are you smoking? Because you obviously got some bad stuff. There is no way that David is going to be the next person to be on the throne. In fact, everyone knows the next person in line for the throne is the king's son, and it's Jonathan, and I don't believe he's interested yet in abdicating his throne. Now, I think if somebody had said, you know, David's older brothers, if someone said, you know, I think they have potential to be king, I think most of them would have said, yeah, look at them. They would make great kings. But let me tell you, God's choices, mark this down, God's choices don't always make sense. But I will tell you, they're never random or haphazardly. God's choices. When others just see a shepherd boy, God sees a king.
And David have, uh, may have lived a very long time ago, in fact, centuries ago, but the things that we can learn from him are as, as current as the sunrise this morning. And if you are all familiar with this story, you know, um, as I said, Samuel asked, are there any other sons? And a servant is sent out to David. And, and I, I don't know, I, I'm gonna, I, I don't know if Samuel's ever been to Bethlehem before. It's perhaps none of these people had ever seen Samuel. Maybe they just, just heard of Samuel. I mean, everyone knew Samuel. I don't know if they'd ever actually ever seen him. But a servant is sent out to David and said, runs out to the field. I don't know how far. I don't know if he's a half a mile or two miles away in the pack. I don't know where he is. But a servant is sent running. And he gets to David. I'm sure he's all out of breath. <sighs> David, the prophet the prophet is at your house and he wants to see you. Like he wants to see you. And I picture as David is running back to the house when he finally bursts in through the door, he's, he's probably sweaty and smelly from working out in the sun all day and looking after the animals and, and he comes in and Samuel immediately knows that's the one. And he anoints him as the next king. Josephus, the historian says, Samuel, the aged, whispered in the ear the meaning of the symbol as the oil is being poured over his head and says, you will be the next king. He certainly didn't see that coming, did he? Nobody in his family saw that coming. Nobody in that town saw that coming. And then when you read the text, I love what happens next because you assume as he's been anointed king, you just know, you know there's business cards being printed, there's banners being made, you know he's going down to the tailor shop to get a new outfit, a new robe made, he's got to get a crown fitted uh, for his head. Uh, it all makes sense, there should be chariots rented going through town, hail to the next king of Israel. I mean, you would think they're doing the Macarena, you know, you see all that, they got that dance going, or, you know, Gangnam, that was that what they do that, you know, something, there's some kind of a dance going on celebrating that David is the next king. But look what happens, look what it says. Verse 12, so he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy and fine appearance and a handsome feature. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel went back to Ramah. What? What? Who wrote this story? He has just been anointed as the king and, the, and Samuel goes back to doing what he's always did. He goes back to Ramah. And David continues on being a shepherd. I don't know about you, but this doesn't make sense. Can you imagine if you won the publishing sweeps, uh, you know, and they came to the door and they had that big chick, hey, you're the winner. Have a great day. And they take the check with them. We'll be back with you. Or you're called into the office and say, hey, by the way, you're going to get the next promotion. You're the next CEO of this company. And then the guy leaves. And that's all it said. You're like, well, what, what, what does that mean? Well, that's exactly what's happened here. He's been anointed as the next king. Samuel has told him he's the next king. And then everything goes back to normal. Like, like nothing has ever happened. There seems to be a few more things that David has to learn before he takes the role of king of Israel. 
And he goes, listen to this, he goes back, continuing to, to be faithful during the mundane things of life. God was training David for a leadership role. And his training ground was gonna be lonely and obscure and monotonous and real. And during this training, we find a, a man who's being developed with integrity. Integrity is what you are when nobody's looking. It's being um, bone, um, bone deep honest. And today, we live in a world that says, in many ways, if you just make a good impression, that's all that really matters. But let me say, we will never be men and women of God with that philosophy, never. Because you can't fake it with the Almighty. The fact is he's not impressed with our externals. He always focuses on our inward qualities. Those things that often will take time and discipline to cultivate in our life. God is getting ready to use, imagine this, God is getting ready to use a young teenage boy to shake a nation and have a nation return to God. How is he gonna do that? How is he gonna use a teenager to shake a nation to turn them back to God? Because God found a man who had a heart that was bent toward him. By the way, not perfect, no way, <laughs> not, never gonna happen. David is so flawed. He makes major mistakes, but through it all, he has a heart that wants to do what is right. He has a passion for God. David's best days are yet ahead of him. And I believe to the core of my being, I've said this multiple times, but I believe it that the best days for us as a church are yet ahead of us. Especially if there are men and women, teenagers, college students, young couples that have a heart bent toward God. I've been asked this question a few times and I hope I never am ever asked it again. This is the question I've been asked a few times. Aren't we big enough? Like, shouldn't we just start looking after ourselves? And I can remember the first time that was asked me, I was like, what are you saying? Like, what are you saying? See, when men and women have hearts for God, it oozes out of their pores. They desperately want people to be connected with Jesus. And every time we reach someone for Jesus, that is one less person, shall I say it, going to hell. I know hell is, is something that we don't like to talk about. It's too harsh, it's not politically correct, it's too judgmental, it's too much. But for the people of God, we know that reality. We cannot afford to be complacent. A lack of passion equals complacency. A heart for God says you're not settling. I think a man who does not have a heart for God settles for second best. I think a woman 
who does not have a heart for God settles for less than what God really has for her. And I think, I think God scans our congregation with his eyes to see who is that of the heart for God. One more for Jesus means one less spouse, one less best friend, one less mother, one less father, one less child, one less coworker, one less neighbor who's headed for a Christless eternity. Friend, hell is already overcrowded. Let's do something about it as we get our hearts bent towards God. Now David is one man who's gonna make a difference. Just like I believe you as one man or, or one lady can make a huge difference. The thing is, you know, you can look on the outside and we can have the best outfits, the best hair color, the best haircut, the best career, the best home that money can buy, the prettiest wife, the handsomest husband, the best behaving children, and be messed up inside. While the rest of us think you have the world by its tail. You can't fake God. And the thing is you don't need to worry about trying to fake out God. Because he, he knows you. And this is what I love about God. He knows us with all of those warts and flaws and failures and he still, he still extends grace for the broken, for the one who sins. David was a great king, but not because he was perfect. (laughs) No way. Because he never confused as to who was the king. And what we discover about David in his early years, reigning as king, as he comes to the end of his life, the one thing we learn about him, he's a man who put his hope in the Lord. He put his hope in the Lord. And we're gonna pick up this story next week as we continue to discover things about David that I think really will connect with in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, this morning, very grateful, very grateful for these truths from your word. And I pray, Lord, that over the next number of weeks, we'll see you in all of your beauty. I pray, Lord, that if there's perhaps even one person here this morning that has never really put their hope in the Lord, oh God, we pray that they would do that today. Lord, help us to recognize you're not looking at our outward side. You're looking at what's going on inside. And you wanna transform us from the inside to bring us from death to life. That's what you do. That's what you do. And we're so thankful for that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.